Good morning again. <laughs> See some more faces that have come in. Welcome, welcome. So we're going to continue in Esther. We're in the very last part of chapter 2. Last couple of verses, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, verses 21 and 22. Last week, uh, we came to understand that God put Esther on the throne next to the king. Amen? Everything that happened with the beauty pageant, everything that happened with finding favor, first with the eunuch in charge, then with uh, uh, the king himself, uh, all of that uh, driven by grace. Driven by the fact that she found favor, which is points exactly, directly to the Lord. Because that's how he does things. He always does things through his grace. Right? And so now, uh, we can understand that that's where God wants her, next to the king on the throne. Because something is going to happen in the future that he knows about. And what's going to happen is that the Jews are going to be destroyed in Persia. That's the plan that's going to come up. We don't know anything about it yet. But God does. And I think that's encouraging for us to know that God sees what's ahead and he's already setting up, planning, preparing us for the day in which we have to face whatever threat may be there in front of us. Amen? So one of the things I want to do is have us think a little bit about the fact that there is a direct connection between studying this story in 5th century Persia and then us in 21st century century America, walking out into the environment in which we all live our lives, there's something, there is a connection here, and that's what I want you to know about. We need to learn, as Mordecai did, as Esther did, uh, how to be good Christians in an environment that doesn't believe what we believe. How many of you have felt and sensed that more and more? We live in an environment with people that don't believe what we believe. And that's in America that was founded on godly principles. We're now, here's what I want to say. Esther and Mordecai and 21st century Christians in the United States and throughout the world, we are now in the minority, humanly speaking. People out there don't believe what we believe. There's all kinds of crazy ideas out there right now. All kinds of weird things happening. We're like going like, huh? What? you got to be kidding me. Really? So, I do want to also emphasize that yes, we may be in the minority, humanly speaking, but I love what Romans 8.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Right? So, in fact, in the numbers, humanly speaking, uh, show us that we're in a minority, the fact is, with God, we're overwhelmingly in the majority. So I used to say before, God plus nothing equals everything. God plus no one or anything equals everything. So as believers, we need to have that mindset. Okay? So again, as you walk out into the community, as you walk out of these doors, out into the world, you're walking out into a world that is increasingly opposed 
to your beliefs. Do you know that? When you go share the gospel out there, people, a lot of people are just going to laugh at you. That old book, that ancient book, that has nothing to no relevance to today at all. What do you... It's, it's foolishness, and of course it is foolishness until you understand it, that God took the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So, how many of you plan on living in America the next couple years or a couple decades? Well, okay, yeah, that's usually the plan. So what we need to do is not be alarmed by the fact that we're the minority. The fact that... Um, just like in the story of Esther, there's people out there that don't get us. They don't understand our way of thinking. As a matter of fact, they're opposed to it, violently opposed to it. The Bible, the Christian faith, is in the minority, and we need to accept that. If you are a Bible-believing, affirming, if, uh, if you're a, uh, 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 someone that actually rejoices over the good news, uh, you're in the minority. So we have to have a different strategy. We're not to go out there and charge without a plan of understanding that we're going to reach people and we're going to have to reach them with the help of the Holy Spirit. And understand God's Word. Right? So Esther's story has everything to do with our story. And one of the things that I think is important and kind of a if we were to use a theme this morning, and we did on the first song that you guys sung, uh, is to understand that God is preserving a people in the midst of an alien environment so that they can be witnesses to his name. God is preserving a people. God is always preserving a people. God always has his people, even if they're in a minority. Remember Elijah after he had that encounter with uh, the priest of Baal and he called down fire from heaven and remember that little incident and then Jezebel threatened him and he ran off into the desert for a couple of days till he couldn't run anymore and what he cried out was and what he believed that he was the only one that believed and the Lord spoke to him and says I got how many still 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee. God has his people. The question is, are you one of them? Do you understand that? And do you understand the environment that you have to face every day? So, God's preserving a people. And our job is not to, and their job, because we're, we're comparing, their job was not to take over Persia. And our job is not to take over the United States. Our job is not to bring down the government. Their job was not to bring down the government, right? Their job was not to just go out and yell and protest about everything that the world does because they think differently than we do, right? Their job was to learn what it meant to have faith in an alien environment, to keep your faith and be a light in a dark world. That's our job. I challenge you to find anywhere where Jesus or where Paul or any of the apostles in living in evil Rome were doing anything other than being witnesses of the gospel of grace. That's the same thing for these two. So, let's look at the last couple of verses of chapter 2. Having 
kind of done a real quick summary of what we've, where we're at. It says, in those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now remember, these are walled cities. You just don't go in and out like, you know, like nothing. They're walled cities and they're gatekeepers. He's one, that's apparently one of his jobs. It says he was sitting, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, and it says, Big then, <laughs> I just love that name. You're big then. Might as well just make it bigger than, right? And Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. So two of these eunuchs are not happy with the king. I'm going to guess that they might have been the eunuchs that served king, Queen Vashti. They were, he, he didn't make a lot of good decisions. And we've already come to that conclusion, right? He made a lot of his decisions while he was probably a little bit inebriated, right? Was it a very, we're not going to call him a genius. He seems to go with the flow of whatever pleases people. And he'd rather assign responsibility to other people. We'll see that in this story today, and what we're going to look at. He's a weak man. This is not a leader. He's not. And he's in charge of the whole Persian Empire, <laughs> which goes to show you, life's not fair. How many of you have ever said that? Man, life's not fair. What, you're just discovering that? I'll never forget what my pastor told me 40 years ago, and it helped me a lot. Life's not fair. It is. It is what it is, whether it's fair or unfair. But as Christians, we know that we have one who's called the just one. We know we have one who's righteous. We know one, the one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We have someone who will look after us. That doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. That doesn't mean we won't go through uh, persecution. That doesn't mean that we won't have tribulation in our lives. But in spite of those things, God is with us. We just sang about it, didn't we? And God is with Esther and Mordecai. And by proxy, God is with the Jewish people through them. And he's going to use them as instruments to bring about his will and purposes. So anyway, Mordecai sitting at this gate and he hears uh, Big Van and Teresh, these eunuchs who have beef, if you would, with the king. They're, they're angry and what do they try to do? What do they want to do? They sought to lay hands on him. They wanted to kill him. They were plotting to kill him. I find this very interesting. Mordecai just sitting at the gate. Crowds are going through the gate of who knows how many thousands of people a day. And Mordecai is perfectly positioned. <laughs> I thought about this. You ever heard or made the statement, man, if I were only a fly on the wall, if I could hear this conversation, You guys know what I'm talking about? He heard something, these two men talking, as they were going through the gate, like a fly on the wall. 
And they mention the name of the king, so that probably perked up his ears. And then he discovers that they're plotting to kill him. And I say, and I hope you can say, what? What a coincidence. Huh? This is a guy in the right place at the right time. How lucky can he be? Mordecai's not lucky at all. It's exactly where God wanted him. So wherever you go, there you are. In the famous word of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You are where you have to be and should be as a Christian. You're never not where you're not supposed to be. Nothing's coincidence. Nothing's accidental even when you make the wrong decisions because Esther and Mordecai made some decisions like for instance they hid their identity it's a complex world we live in and in spite of the decisions they made that weren't necessarily the best if we look back now of course it'd be easy for us to look back hindsight is twenty twenty. But it's a complicated world we live in. And sometimes we mess up. And sometimes we make bad decisions. It doesn't matter because if you belong to the Lord, He will straighten out your mess. He will. Now that doesn't mean, and I hear it all the time, because people are afraid of grace. Because they don't understand that uh, there are some who will take it as a license to do whatever they want, anytime they want. That's not what I'm saying. Grace is not a license to go against God's will, but you will at some point in your life when faced with the pressures of life and or complex decisions and limited knowledge, or maybe you're not patient, so you're not going to always do it perfectly. What's new in that? We only grow by grace, and outside of grace, we're doomed because then he would have to judge us on the standard, the law, and the law only has one consequence if you don't obey it, death. Right? Paul talks about it in Romans and in different epistles. We can only move forward the same way we got saved. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of, your, of yourselves. It is the gift of God lest anyone should what? Boast. You get into the kingdom by grace through faith and you stay in the kingdom by faith through grace. It is not you, it is God. It's not about you, we sang. It's about God. And the minute and we understand that it's not about us, life is a lot smoother. Because then you can go through the bumps and you can go through the valleys and the mountaintops all knowing it's God who did it anyway. And your heart should always be in tune with the Lord and you should always be striving to know what the Lord's will is, but you don't always do it. But that's okay. We see here with Esther, they find themselves in a situation that's going to open up the door for greater confidence with the king, but they've got to gain the confidence of the king. You just don't walk into his presence, not even his queen. You've got to have an appointment. Now, there's kingly duties, and then there's husbandly duties, and there are occasions where she didn't even see him for 30 days. And we'll see about that in another event that's going to happen soon. That's going to be big for this story. But she just can't walk in and waltz into his presence and ask 
of him or petition him for something. She has to be invited, and if she's not and does appear, that's death according to their laws. But here she is, and, and they need his confidence. And God knows that uh, they need to gain the confidence of the king because of future events. So this smaller event takes place where he, these, Mordecai hears about a conspiracy to murder the king. What happens? Well, he told it to the Queen Esther. The last part of verse 22. So Mordecai goes to Esther. Esther goes to who? To the king in the name of Mordecai. Because I'm sure he's going to ask, hey, how did you find out? Well, Mordecai said he overheard it. You know, the fly on the wall. Coincidentally there. Just happened to be there. God is so lucky that we are where we need to be. No, we're so lucky that he puts us where we need to be. Right, George? Yeah, he's so lucky that we just happen to just always follow his will. No, he'll force us to his will. There's a reason a shepherd carries a staff. And you know what it has on the end of it? A hook. Brother Gerald, what's that hook for? To do what again? Yeah. yeah, and that's our Lord, isn't he? Because he's the good shepherd. Here, come on over here, Robert. Bam. Ugh. And sometimes he can use it to prod. And then when he gets tired of those sheep, he can lean on it and get some rest. Right? It's a really interesting tool. God directs the affairs of his people. Okay, so if I don't get this out of the 5th century and into the 21st century, God directs your life if you live for him. What I mean by that is you're, we come into the kingdom through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. So belonging to him, because you are bought with a price, you are not your own, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You belong to the Lord. He's not going to just let you randomly do whatever you want. So the queen takes the information to the king. And then verse 23 says, When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. Wow, that was quick and swift. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Mordecai uncovers this plot, an assassination plot. Esther tells the king. Esther tells the king it was Mordecai. And yet we read that it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles. And that's important. Because a lot of times we see something written in the Bible where we ask ourselves, oh, why do we need to know that? Because later, when the king is restless, many days later, and can't sleep at night, and I believe it's because the Lord woke him up and made him restless, he goes into those chronicles and he discovers that he never promoted Mordecai for having saved his life. But how opportune that once he does discover and rereads it, because he probably was suffering from some memory loss, obviously. He didn't promote him at this moment. He promoted another guy that we're going to read about in chapter 3, Haman, who becomes the adversary of the God's people. But not Mordecai, but later, 
In a restless night, he goes and says to his uh, servants, hey, bring me the book of the Chronicles. And he asks a question to one of them, hey, did I ever give him his reward? And they go, nah, man, you dissed him. Well, I'm going to now. So I'm jumping ahead too, aren't I? But that's only so we can see how this fits. After these things, verse 1 of chapter 3, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite. Promoted Haman the Agagite. Notice I kind of underlined it, Agagite. The son of Hamedtha, or Hamedatha, Hamedatha, just call him Ham. <coughs> hey, um, you're at the hospital, your son has been born, and they ask you, what do you want to name him? So we've got to put it on his birth certificate. Uh, let's name him Hamedatha. Okay, go for it. Tell you, some of the Bible names are difficult. <coughs> and it and advanced him. So the king advanced Haman and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. What position does Haman now have? He has a lot of authority. Set, he advanced him, he promoted him. Set his throne above all the officials that were with him. So what I want to do right now, and I don't want to bore you, so I'm going to try and do this as fast as possible, but we can't move on from this point without understanding something from Israel's history. Something valuable for our story. So I'm going to put up Exodus 17, verses 8 through 12, and just read it real quick. This particular event, I know it's small. This particular event happened after Israel had drank from the rock. Remember, they were complaining about they didn't have anything to drink. They're now in the wilderness, and Israel will defeat Amalek. Don't forget the name Amalek. It's one of its enemies. So let's read it. Uh, this is in Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at uh, Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. This is a story where Moses is standing at the top of the hill as Israel is fighting Amalek. And every time they held, his hands went up, they would win. Every time his hands went down, they'd lose. So they end up held, holding up his arm, that is Joshua and Caleb, so that they could defeat their enemy. That's the story. But I want to bring out some point here. So, verse 10, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. Oh, wait a minute. There's some other people holding up his arms. I was, I was off on that one. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. He was getting tired. While Aaron and Ur held up his hand, so it was Aaron and Ur, they held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So they held up his hands literally all day. Amen? It says, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Amal uh, Moses, Write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the sun. It, back in those days, they wrote everything in books to remember the history. Here's another case of it. And, verse 15, Moses built an altar called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. 
The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That's the part I wanted to get to. The Lord will have what? War with who? Amalek from generation to generation. This is way before Esther's story. They haven't even gone into, they're just now going into the promised land. And Esther's story happens later in history, the, Israel's history, when Babylon took them into captivity. Now, now real quick to, to 1 Samuel 15. This is where Saul has been made king. This is later down in the history of Israel. And having been made king, he had been given a command by God. He had been given a charge to destroy the Amalekites. Oh, there's the same people again. The Amalekites. So let's read it from verse 2, First uh, Samuel 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they, uh, they came out of Egypt. So that's Exodus 17 that I just read. The Lord is telling Saul, Hey, Amalek, I'm aware of that when I brought you into the promised land, they tried to block the way. They tried to destroy you. Verse 3, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both men and women child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Everything. Destroy everything of that nation. Now, jump to verse 9. I'm giving it to you up here. You can look at it later in your Bible. We see that God's command is absolutely clear. Whatever your thoughts on this, we could go back on that and deal with it later. Destroy all of them. Because God is holy. The land of Israel will be holy too. Cannot have anything defiled in the land of Israel. And that's the pagan nation in the Holy Land. Get rid of them. Get rid of the sin in your life. Not some of it. All of it. That's what the Lord is saying in our terms. So Saul, verse 9 of 1 Samuel 15. Notice this. Saul and the people spared a gag. I want a gag. He spared a gag. You guys didn't get that. There's not no humor whatsoever in this place. I want a gag. <laughs> he spared a gag. <laughs> Lord, can you please bring down a little lightheartedness in here? Why is that important? He spared them and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not would not, that is, Saul would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Huh, so they had heard what God had said. God had been very clear in his instruction commands. Destroy them, right? And they get into the process of destroying them, that is, Saul and his people. And then all of a sudden they go, you know, that's not really a good idea. Why don't we just like keep a gag or a gag? You know, he's the king. Let's keep him. We can show him off, you know, one of our victory trophies. And uh, let's keep some of, the, some of the best stuff, you know, like the, the nice sheep. And, and you, know, you know, why throw it away? Why destroy it? You know, we could, we could have uh, some, uh, some, some barbecue ribs tonight, you know. That's the idea that Saul came up with. <laughs> right? Let's, let's, let's get rid of the junk. Well, that's not hard to do. 
Everybody wants to get rid of their junk. But we'll keep the good stuff, right? But we'll keep the good stuff. So God's not randomly giving this directive just because it's purposeful. There's a reason why he gave this directive. He sees the future. And Saul's failure to pay attention to it is going to have future ramifications. Here's the message at this point. Failure to obey God always has consequences. Sooner or later, it's going to come back to bite you. Or maybe even something worse. Okay? Now, I'm not doing all this just because I like to talk about Saul and Moses and these stories. There's, there's this man called Agag. Right? Verse 24, same chapter, 1 Samuel 15, 24. I'm just jumping so you can see the important stuff. Go back and read it all if you want to. Saul is then made aware of the fact that he isn't going to be king anymore because he disobeyed. It says there in verse 24 of 1 Samuel 15, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So he was more concerned with what people had to say than what God had to say. That's always a problem. If it leads you to disobey. And remember where uh, Samuel comes down to the story, I'm just going to give you a little bit, some pieces. And he hears the, bah, bah. And Saul's like, um, Samuel's like, bah? Why do I hear the bleeding of the, sh of the sheep? Aren't they supposed to be destroyed? Well, I mean, you know, we love barbacoa. Man. And if uh, Sister Stella makes a salsa, we love it even more. Right? So, he acknowledges he was disobedient. Right? And he's not trying to cover. He confesses his sin. He actually pleaded with God not to take away his kingship. But God had other ideas through a young shepherd boy named David. A man after God's own heart. Not a man who doesn't care about God's heart. And is a disobedient. So that's the story. But here's the lesson. God asks for complete obedience. Uh, complete obedience means what? Complete obedience. Not partial obedience. Not our idea of what we think he wants. So if we're going to listen to the suggestions of other people. Rather than the directions that God has given us. There's going to be implications of that and that's exactly what happens here, first to Saul, but then later, because of the result of him fearing what the people thought and listening to them, this conflict with Amalek is going to simmer and bubble up and boil over and reproduce itself again and again in the future of this nation. We're to stamp out sin. See, when we go into the water in baptism, we're saying that all our sins are buried with Christ. Gone. And we walked, uh, we come out of the water to walk in newness of life. We're new creatures in Christ. So, okay, I told you this wouldn't take long. It took, although to study this took me hours. Let me get back. Book of Esther. Who now has power? Haman, 
He has all authority, right? It's in his hands. He's promoted to a place of authority. And the writer of the book of Esther makes sure that we understand that he's an Agagite. He's an Agagite? Who's Agagite? He's a descendant of King Agate. Who's, what nation does he belong to? Amalek. And who are they? God's enemies. So, what's really happening here, and we see from, if you want to double check it, Esther 2.5, that's where we get the descendancy. Here's the deal that make it even really interesting. Agag is a descendant of Kish. And who's, and what's Kish? Kish is Saul's dad. King Saul's dad. And Mordecai is a descendant of what? Of whom? Who's Mordecai a descendant of? Saul. Uh, I think I got that wrong. Let me read. Let me read. Okay. So Kish is Saul's dad. Saul's. Mordecai. His lineage also goes back, uh, 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 goes back to Saul. And he's told to kill the Amalekites. Saul, his forefather, says, I'm not going to destroy the Amalekites. So he doesn't think it matters. And here we are now in 5th century Persia. And this little man is confronted with the evil of an Agagite who shouldn't even exist. Do you see why it was important to be obedient? So don't think for a moment that our disobedience to what God commands us to do aren't going to have consequences because we're seeing it centuries later in the story of Esther. God's not going to be mocked. If we don't execute things the way he wants, it's going to come back and we're going to see it here in this story. So verse 2 of Esther 2. That's, sorry, Esther 3. I know it says verse chapter 3. 2 2, it should be 3 2. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. So, who's bowing down to Haman? Let me say this about Haman. He's a really evil person. He likes it, he likes being bowed down to. He wants the recognition. And there's one little guy who won't. <laughs> Mordecai. And it's an arch enemy from the past generations and descendants. But it fulfills God's promises that the, these would be warring. They would be warring generation to generation and we find it come up again. Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. doesn't say why. But it could be that he sensed that this man wanted to be worshipped. Well, you can only worship, if you're a Jew, God. Correct? You can only bow down to God. He wanted to have Mordecai pledge his allegiance. What citizenship do we have? We're heaven. heaven heaven's our, our home. I know, I pledge allegiance to the United States. Right? Let me say that, only after you pledge allegiance to God, and as long as your allegiance to the United States doesn't violate your relationship with God. Am I right on that? Yeah, I am. 
I checked up on it and also on that too. Our allegiance is to God. And when our nation moves in and tells us that we can't preach the gospel, we're going to be like the original apostles. You decide for yourself. Shall we obey man or God? Well, we're going to obey God. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and not obey God and see how it goes for you. And it may be that some of you have experienced that way too often. And you're wondering why your life goes in a vicious circle nowhere. Because you put God outside of the circle. Remember the, those, back in the days, those tracks? You've seen those tracks where Jesus is in the center of our lives, is sitting on a chair of our hearts. So, Mordecai did not bow down and pay homage. This just made um, Haman just like, it, he was besides himself. Don't ever let one person dictate your mood and your behavior and your attitude. There's some people that live their lives and they can't get away from wanting, from not being bothered by someone. But that's what happened here. And it's going to eventually lead to his own demise. It's going, this bitterness, this resentment, this hatred that he had for Mordecai and eventually his hatred for God's people because he becomes the arch enemy of God's people. Don't let that chew you up to the point to where you're hung for it. Because that's what's going to happen to him. You know, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're led by the flesh. And the flesh will always lead, because of its sinful condition, to death. Eventually. Some people sooner than others. Because some people accelerate sin. They just kind of go hog wild crazy and that sin takes over. So... The king's servants who were, this is verse 3, who were the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when he spoke to him, and when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman, can we just call him horrible Haman? Or Haman the Horrible. Haman was filled with fury. He was filled with rage and he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone so that basically he didn't want to do the job himself. He was going to have others help him take out Mordecai. So that they made uh, known to him the people of Mordecai. So Haman finds out that they're Jews. And Haman, listen to this last part of verse 6. Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. You know that's overkill? One guy doesn't bow down to you, and now want to wipe out the whole Jewish nation. Is there something wrong with this guy? I mean, get over it, dude. You're really not that important. But I am important. The king has declared so. Even my wife says I am. Because you'll see something later happen with his wife at home. That's why I bring it up. Oh, honey, you're right. You're so awesome. Something wrong when you want to be worshipped. 
when you have way too many selfies, be careful. And you have them at every angle, and you change clothes for every one of them. Ah, there's people out there. I see them all the time. I'm not naming names. I'm just saying too many. It's okay. You know, hey, my family, we're on vacation. Awesome. I want to go there too. But the other thing is when it's like, <laughs> you love yourself. And when someone doesn't love you like you love you, you get angry. Everyone should love you because you're, you're on Insta or Snap. This man is sick because one guy won't worship, bow down, acknowledge him because after all, the king put him in charge. By the way, when the king put him in charge, I believe the king abdicated his responsibility. He was lazy. He, didn't wanna, he wanted to... Uh, uh, give uh, the um, delegate authority to others so he could sit at home and drink his wine. By the way, it was the best wine that Persia could produce. Remember from the first chapter, the, the, the banquets? This man has, we, we always want to ask God, how did he get to be president? Oh, oh, oh sorry, how did he get to be king? Because all authority, the Bible says, is established by God. God has a purpose for them, even when they're lousy. So he doesn't like it. Verse uh, number 6 says that he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone so that they made known to him the people of Mordecai. Mordecai sought to destroy all the Jews. What? Is that really in there? Uh, uh, rather, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, uh, uh, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they, call, they cast per, that is, they cast lots before him and day after day. And they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is in the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, uh, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the providences of, of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws so that it is is not to be to the king's prophet to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. In other words, annihilated. There's a certain people in your kingdom that are different. Why are they different? Because they are the people of a holy God. We're different. Have you learned to accept that in the environment we live in? Have you understood that we are peculiar people? Right? A holy nation. Priests. For the Lord. As New Testament believers. We are different. Not everybody's going to love you. And they're not going to love what you do or say. And that's the case here. There is a people in your kingdom. They're dispersed and scattered abroad in all of your provinces. Their laws are different. How dare they? How dare we not agree with certain things that are going on in this country? Like murdering babies in the mother's womb. 
How dare we are told that we're not tolerant because we don't agree with certain agendas that are going on in our culture right now, like homosexuality and all this weirdness. I know, I know, I'm going to get arrested one day. They need to repent. They need to come to God. But we're, we are a people that are different. We're holy, like He is holy. He created us in His image. Oh, I'm going to say it. I'm ready to die for it. Because it's just not right. And someone needs to say it. And when I open my Bible, it says it. And when I look at the design, the parts just don't fit. And procreation would not continue under those mindsets. It isn't what God put together. And a lot of other things, but I'll keep it at that today. We are different. And in Mordecai's case, I believe that he sensed that the man wanted more than just to be revered and respected. He wanted to be worshipped. You don't worship anyone. But God. Right? Get the, get the bail money ready. They're coming after me. Oh well. I'll just get to heaven sooner than most. <laughs> you guys are looking at me weird. Do we not believe these things? Or do we? I'm telling you, I started by telling you at the beginning. We're in the minority and that's going to mean something in our futures. But we've got to be able to say, what, and I'm not saying it hatefully, it's just wrong. And God loves them. And died for them. So that they can come to repentance and know the salvation that he offers Man, if it's not what I'm saying today, it's going to be something different in a couple months. Flip-flop, vacillating, can't make up their mind. There's no standard. Anything and everything goes. As long as it works and it's pr pragmatic. Uh, hey, let's do it. And then and, and not, it ends up destroying us. I don't know. All that was free. Haman said to the king, verse 8, Hey, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all of the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they did not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to be the, to the king's prophet to tolerate them. We're not going to tolerate them. It's really funny. People who say they're most tolerant are the least tolerant. As long as you're tolerant to what they believe, then you're someone to be tolerated. But the minute you don't tolerate what they can't tolerate, you're intolerant. It only goes one way. That's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. But I'm just telling you, God doesn't like it. 
He's not pleased. And we see the direction of our nation right now. It's going down and going down fast. It's on a slippery slope. So, if it pleased the king, verse 9, now look how he manipulates and look how he takes advantage after he misinforms them because I don't know of anything they did that is all of Israel, all of the Jews. I just know of a one man that didn't want to bow down to another man and yet they take it and extend it out in such an exaggerated way. This guy is a narcissist for sure. Everything's supposed to revolve around him and because it doesn't, he goes to the king and he says, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. Do you understand that God's people have enemies? And the primary enemy is Satan himself. He's called our adversary. And he goes about as a roaring lion seeking what? To destroy us. This is what this story is about. So, if it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So they're not taking money from the king's treasury. Haman's going to pay it. Remember, he had just gone on a large, costly campaign to try to defeat Greece, but got defeated. Probably doesn't have much money, so instead of, hey, I'm going to pay people, reward people to destroy the, his, the Jews. So the king took his signet ring uh, from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite. That ring with the signet, how you would approve and get everything passed automatically as they would dip it into wax on an official document, legal document. He gave all of his story, uh, authority, as I told you before, that this is not just a simple gesture, oh, here's my ring, right? What we see here is the king is unwilling to make decisions that are necessary and he's going to delegate them to someone else and what's interesting is this is a a person who's abdicating his responsibility even though he speaks of how great he is especially when we look at first chapter he's so wonderful my kingdom's so wonderful but he's not in charge guess who's in charge the enemy of God's people wow so the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamedtheda, or whatever that is, the enemy of the Jews. You see that in verse 10? The enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also. And here's the weird part. To do with them as it's good to you. You gave them a free license, no restrictions, no limitations. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to plan to destroy them all. And I'm going to leave it at that for today. Let's remember that in spite of the fact that the king abdicates his authority and gives limitless power to Haman who is an enemy of the people of God, we find a God in this story who is committed to the welfare of his people. He's going to work out all things even when apparently he looks to be hidden. He's not. He's, al he's alive and well. And he's working his purposes. Ultimately, we'll see that in this story. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you.
My prayer, Lord, is that your word would go forth, that your word would go out into our hearts, and that we would allow these things that we're looking at this morning to speak to us with the help of the Holy Spirit. We are in the minority. The things that we believe, the things that we read in your word, your commands and your principles, Lord, are foreign to the world outside. And so we pray, Lord God, for you to direct us. We pray, Lord God, for you to guide us and protect us, Lord, but ultimately for us to uh, have courage to continue to share the good news because it's the only hope this world has. There will come a day, Lord, where you'll decide that enough is enough, but we pray, Lord, until that day that we would be effective in sharing our um, testimony and our faith to a world that needs it so desperately, that's searching for something to help us to be the instrument that you use to reach them here at Cross Point Community Church. We say these things out of love because we know the consequences, Lord, of not having Jesus as our Savior. We know that there is judgment coming. And so, Father, we speak these things with the desire in our heart to see people saved come to the feet of Jesus. We know not everyone is going to. A few will. But those that are still yet to make that decision, Father, help us and use us, at least uh, here at Crosspoint, to reach those that you have uh, determined would come to your kingdom through this ministry. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We're going to have uh, our offering at the moment. And let's pray for it. All right. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for the opportunity to be able to give. We give so with a cheerful heart. We give, Lord, trusting, Lord, that you uh, are the one who makes every provision for our lives. And so, Father, by offering our tithes, by giving our offerings, Lord, we acknowledge, Father, that um, you're the one who will meet our needs, meet the needs of each and every family and of the church. And may it be for the glory of the uh, kingdom of God. And we ask this in his name. Amen.